Hello, everybody. Welcome to Derazzled, the podcast that takes award-winning worst films and fixes them. Except for today, because we're picking up back where Second Unit left off last week by continuing our discussion of satire and Starship Troopers. As we mentioned in the last episode, when we recorded this, it was about the time of the 25th anniversary of the film's release in 1997. So we thought we were being timely for that reason. Who'd have thought we'd be timely in a sense of a time of extreme problems with media comprehension and satire kind of being impossible. Oh, boy. Well, I'm not going to belabor you with that at any point. Um, We're just going to get right into the episode here, picking up where we left off. Uh, We're going to be talking a bit about the last bits of production and post-production of the film, the reception of the film, and how it's kind of absurd that the satire was missed. You'll see as we get into it. We had a lot of fun with this one. We hope you enjoy the rest of it, and we will see you next week when we start covering Showgirls. So, so yeah, getting back to, to the plot, again, like Johnny Rico becomes uh, an officer, um, and then, then the, the last beat of the movie does, does take place where it's like, and again, it, in this place, it's like, well, you know, why don't they just bomb the planet? It's because they're going to go look for, they're looking mm-hmm. for the green bug. And so Johnny and his troops go and look for the green bug. Uh, yeah, they learn that everything that happened on, uh, the, 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 uh, the misinformation they had on planet P was purposeful because of games and theory. Uh, yeah. I love the like dark lines under Neil Patrick Harris's eyes. The further you get into the movie, where you can see like it's really having like wearing on him. And then, so so the last beat uh, of the book, it's they they pull a hobbit. They pull pull a you know he Johnny Rico gets knocked out um, and comes to and they won the war. Sergeant Zim, it's Zim did it. Zim got the bug. Zim got the bug. So that, yeah, the fact that he actually knocked himself down to private so that he could fight. Like, <laughs> So good. Also, fucking Dean Norris popped up in yes. there. Like, I was not expecting to see Hank Schrader from Breaking Bad. I completely oh, yeah. forgot he was in this. Yeah, Officer Officer Dean, Dean Norris. Um, so good. Yeah, he and Clancy Brown, like, so good. Like Clancy wow. Brown doing his best uh, Arlie Ermey impression. Yeah, like, right. So and a fun fact about Clancy Brown, actually, that I learned uh, reading over some of this stuff here. So he signed on to the project specifically because of the, uh, the the satirical angle that it was taking. Like he read the script and he saw like the like the overtly fascist stuff that he was going to be saying, and he was like, "That's what attracted me." Actually, was the not so subtle fascist comments. That's much more salient to Verhoeven's world as a European, but completely valuable as a cautionary message. Like he got it right away and. Wa- and that's why he wanted to participate in the film. Based anti-fascist Clancy Brown. You love to fucking see it. But yeah, largely the, that's the the plot of the book, especially in terms of the differences between uh, the book and the movie. And yeah, the movie plays up. And there's no like overt fascist. It's just it's just it's you know it's just it's the through line, but it's an undercurrent. It's right. not it's not there. There's no romance. No friendship shit, really. Uh, yeah, no, like, again, it's, it's, it's like characterization is, is pretty minimal. It's all about the ideas. Um, oh, the big reveal 
at the very end is that uh, Johnny Rico is um, is Filipino. That's like a big deal. Um, so he, yeah. he talks about like the language of my people. You know, he, he makes it aside about the language of his people. Uh, Tagalog. I, I was forgetting if it's if it's Tagalog or Tagalog yeah. or I, I, I'm not entirely sure how that's pronounced. So, but yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, he I, just he so Johnny Rico is Filipino, and that's like a big deal. And it, it again, like Heinlein wants you to to like have this, to, you know. Again, I being like a a, a preteen, you know, white white boy from mid, relatively middle America. I am Heinlein's audience, and like he wants you to like inhabit this character. And then, oh, by the way, he's Filipino. Again, you can say what you want about his politics, and a lot of them are terrible. But he is at least trying to like be a little bit inclusive. Although there's also right. like some terrible racially essentialist stuff apparently that happens in other books of his. But he just is like trying to get you know. Kids, kids from rural America, like me, like, like and thinking about this character, I'm like OPG Dubs, he is like a different than you in a way you didn't expect. That's why he's so interesting. He's not straight up awful the whole way around. There's most like, okay, well, you you had the right idea on this thing or this thing, especially when you were writing yeah. the time period. I want to put a pin in uh, in in Johnny Rico's race for for okay. just a minute okay. there because uh, that's definitely something we're going to come back to later. Yeah, so yeah, so the, instead of a lot of that stuff, we ended up getting the kind of conflicted love triangles between Rico and Carmen and Dizzy, um, Dizzy uh, and Rico, Carmen and Xander. Yeah, so so we ended up with all with with those with those storylines kind of carrying a lot of the human element forward. And I'm sure you can guess, uh, you know, which of those characters was added based on the name because this is so '90s. Then of course they added the character named Xander. Xander, um, well, which... absolutely. <laughs> this has nothing to do with anything, but it was my favorite scene in the movie. There's a bar fight between Xander oh, yeah. and Rico, and the background music is "Fade Into Me" by Mazzy Star, which uh, yeah. And this was like this <laughs> is a really choice. weird choice, but then I'm like, oh, I really like this. Yeah, it ruled. Uh, yeah, you know, there's no, there's no weird nah. uh, indoor arena, arena football in the book. Right? Yeah, um, <laughs> it's a damn shame. <laughs> it is a damn shame. Yeah, the fucking uh, jump ball or future ball or whatever the fuck whatever. it's called. Yeah. It just, it's so good. Yeah, but ultimately those changes uh, helped get the uh, the studio to back the project and approve a budget. Davison managed to get a very detailed $90 million budget approved for this film, but only because there was a cost-sharing agreement they were able to reach with Touchstone Pictures. Every studio was really fucking gun-shy whenever it came to uh, to big budgets, because this is right on the heels of Waterworld, absolutely tanking. Getting into the actual pre-production and whatnot of this, uh, so a lot of the filming for the Earth scenes was done in the uh, the Astaire building on the Sony lot, but the outdoor settings for Klandathu and Planet P were a lot harder to find. You, as you may recall, if you're a history buff, there were a couple of government shutdowns that took place uh, in the late in late 1995 into early t- 1996 because Bill Clinton didn't want to let uh, Newt Gingrich and the Republicans in Congress do it, put in a bunch of budget cuts. Time is a flat circle. Uh, so that that made it almost impossible for them to get any permitting for uh, national parks or any other government owned land. So they ended up just they ended up just searching far and wide for anything they could possibly get their hands on. And then uh, per, uh, location manager Bill Bowling managed to strike gold when he stumbled upon Hell's Half Acre 
in Casper, Wyoming. The look of this place was absolutely perfect in terms of like the rocky outcroppings and whatnot. Like it, it, it really gave that like desert kind of feel to the place without them actually having to go to a place that was you know government controlled. Uh, however, it did add like an hour long commute at five a.m. Uh, also, the land wasn't developed, so they had to build roads to get everything into place. Also, also anything that w- couldn't be driven had to be brought in by helicopter. Also, the weather was wildly erratic, bouncing from blizzard conditions to 115-degree heat to 80-mile-per-hour winds. Also, the place was just lousy with rattlesnakes. Okay, so it wasn't there cold. There It was, absolute, it was <laughs> an absolute fucking hellscape. I'm like, if you leave out earned... the fucking rattlesnakes, I'm going to be pissed. Yeah. <laughs> Amazingly, nobody got bit by a rattlesnake. Not that everybody survived, though. That's – yeah, I was actually just about to get to that. There were other issues that popped up in the midst of this uh, this production – Unfortunately, two crew members were killed in a car accident. Uh, They were actually on their way back from a vacation, on their way back to Casper, Wyoming. Uh, The only person that survived the crash was the girlfriend of one of the crew members, and the cast and crew raised money for her recovery, and the uh, studio offered counseling services to the cast and crew after the event. That's a bummer. That is an awful thing that happened. Uh, It's not the only of the difficulties they faced, though, because there was actually another incident June 29th, 1996, they're fl- about to fly back to L.A. so that they can finish filming on sound stages and whatnot. And uh, flight attendants refused to serve a visibly intoxicated crew member. Uh, how do you think that guy responded to, to not being served? He took over the plane and went to a bar. That would have been simpler. Uh-oh. Oh, boy. Steve, what do you think he did? Trying to hijack. It was, a, it was a simpler time. It was, it was pre-9-11, so hijacking... So, toilet wine. Not the, I, he, he didn't threaten to hijack it. He muttered something under his breath about a bomb. Oh, no. He said the magic word. He T.J. Millered it. <laughs> <laughs> he T.J. He kind of T.J. Millered it. Uh, so he muttered something about a bomb, prompting the entire plane to be evacuated, the cargo searched, and the passengers detained. Uh, he was eventually arrested, and the rest of the crew had to fly back the next day, which was supposed to be a rest day, and ultimately that cost the production uh, a whole day of filming. But. Speaking of losing time and losing days of filming, uh, I mentioned the weather was absolutely horrific in this place uh, at Hell's Half Acre. Almost daily, when there weren't blizzard conditions, about a dozen people would get, would get heat stroke. Including at one point Jake Busey. Oh no! And that that particular yeah, our 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 boy ended My up boy <laughs> ended up getting heat stroke that ended up shutting production down for a week Damn. at a cost of one and a half million dollars a day. Wow! In nineteen nineties money too. In nineteen nineties money, they need yep. to get that boy some Pedialyte. <laughs> like a lot of Pedialyte, yes. Speaking of Jake Busey, a lot's been made of the actual cast of this film. You know, a lot of people pan them for being wooden or kind of you know, mannequin-esque. A lot of people, uh, a lot of people at the time, blame them for ma- for making the movie bad. But I think that's an unfair critique. They were perfect for the and, story that was being told. Yeah, like they are yes. good little like vaguely Aryan, right. you know, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, you know, propaganda models. Like they're they're perfect. yeah. It, 
And that's all by design because uh, Verhoeven was literally pulling from Nazi propaganda films as his inspiration for a lot of this work. Like he literally he literally says in multiple interviews that he's trying to make it seem like he was pulling from uh, Lenny Riefenstahl's Triumph of the Will. Like that was like particularly in like the propaganda news bits like he's he's actively trying to present that image uh, to help drive home the satire of it all. And that's why he that's why he went with like relatively lesser known, um, you know, teen soap opera style actors instead of going with some of the other people who uh, who auditioned like Mark Wahlberg and Matt and Matt Damon. I would love to have seen Mark Wahlberg instead of taking away from him. I don't know. I, there's something. There's something about Casper Van Dien's kind of like blank slate Rico that I think really works for the satire of this. Oh yeah, but, yeah. We, we we'll talk more. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. There was one other noteworthy difficulty about uh, about this production, uh, which this one you guys might might already be aware of, just because it gets talked about a lot. Uh, the shower scene. Mm-hmm. Nobody wanted to do the shower scene. It, everybody was really uncomfortable with the idea of it. So uh, in order in order to uh, to make that work, a compromise had to be struck. Uh, I think it was actually Dina Meyer who who uh, who looked at Verhoeven and said, "Only if you do it first. Ooh. So Verhoeven was like, "Sure." So he <laughs> just he sent every he sent all un- unnecessary crew off the set. He stripped down. Uh, the director of photography, uh, Jost Vakano, he also stripped down entirely. Attaboy. boy. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, and then after that, the the, the remaining cast is just like, "All right, I guess we're doing this." <laughs> and you know, they they, they were you know, they're a little hesitant, but then once they started, they pretty quickly got undressed and made you know, and you know, they got it done. They made it all work. I do want to point out that he uh, did say, "Take as much time as you need to undress." He did say, yeah, he did specifically say, like, take it, do it at your comfort. Like, I'm not rushing you. Take the time you need. But they all ended up doing it fairly quickly. So, there yeah. was another detail that a lot of them didn't know at that time, though, and that's that Yosef Akino had actually grown up on a nudist colony. <laughs> so he was so he probably was the most day. comfortable he had ever been on any film set. He was just like, oh, hell yeah, these pants are awful. So the, the shower scene, it's, it's just like, it's while they're at basic training, mm-hmm. You know, it's just yes. like a nude co-ed shower scene, um, as as one does. Uh, you know, but boys and girls uh, showering mm-hmm. together, talking like you know, le- learning some plot. You know, Shijumi is doing yeah. this interview. Yeah, you're learning why all these people are doing what they're doing, and it helps flesh out the world a little bit more. Like you learn that you can't, like you can't serve as a politician unless you're a citizen. Pun you can't not intended. Apply for a li- <laughs> flesh out. Damn it! I didn't. I didn't even mean to do that. <laughs> uh, you 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 can't apply to for a license to have a kid if you don't serve. Uh, it makes know, it easier. Like that. Yeah, right. Which is yeah, they're definitely like that was not I don't, not I think present in the book, but oh, it's so. a super good like fashion element to add in. Like, yep, gotta gotta get li- a license to have babies. Like, well, I don't think yeah, there's this little eugenics element that we're gonna see it in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think I read that Verhoeven wanted to have like. In the future, you won't have sexualized bath time, something akin to that. Yeah, that's part of what he was doing there. Was it was because uh, tr- you know he he's Dutch. A lot of his uh, you know a lot of his upbringing, a lot of his a lot of uh, the culture there. It's that violence in media is fucking weird. Sexuality is not right. That's very normal. Uh, so he was using that as a moment to kind of highlight that, and he had tried doing that before actually in the uh, the locker room scene in RoboCop. 
Uh, there's, I mean, given it's it's very easy to miss because by his own admission, he didn't shoot it that well. Uh, and there's only like one topless woman, like just like somewhere in the shot. So he was like, no, I need to make sure nobody misses it this time. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, good job. That'll be the day. Yeah, mission mission accomplished. Uh, but yeah, no, he really wanted to highlight that this um, strangely egalitarian feature of this like hyper fascistic society that he that he's built. With all of that covered here, I have a couple more things I want to get into about po- the post production of the film before we get into the uh, the reception and talking a little bit more in depth about the satire of the film adaptation itself. So let's take a quick break and then we'll jump back in with that stuff. Great. Hey, you want to get doomed? I'm Tessa. And I'm Nicole. And we have a spanking new podcast for your ear holes called Doom Generation. Listen in as two foul mouth biddies have an always casual, often comedic. What? I think we're funny. And sometimes chaotic conversation about the things that doomed us to be who we are today. Take a trip with us down nostalgia lane and we'll try not to veer off the road. Available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Doom Generation Pod and on Twitter at Doom Gen Pod. Later, Doomers! Welcome back, everybody. Uh, before we jump into the uh, the real meat of what we want to talk about with satire in this uh, in this uh, this this movie here, I do want to touch on a couple of quick points regarding post production. Uh, the propaganda newsreels that uh, were almost all shot in post, mostly in and around LA. There was no opportunity to get these done during filming, largely because second unit coverage was shot at the exact same time as primary footage. Uh, the exception being whenever they needed to get coverage of Clancy Brown's uh, little fashy bits uh, during his uh, drill, his drill sergeanting and whatnot. Roughly half the film's budget, uh, which by the end of production had grown to somewhere between 100 and 110 million, uh, was devoted to special effects. Uh, and funding for this was contingent upon them using Sony Pictures image works. Uh, they were not allowed to outsource uh, the entirety of the work anywhere else. This was to cover roughly 500 shots. Uh, roughly 500 shots required uh, special effects work of some degree. There's a, an interesting comment here uh, from the book Ma- The Making of Starship Troopers. A highly placed employee of the Starship Troopers production said that Sony Pictures Image Works was poorly managed, disorganized, and rarely on set or involved in production. Uh, while another said that SPI's priorities were split with developing effects for the science fiction film Contact, which came out in 1997. Mm-hmm. So dealing with SPI was a bit of a frustration point throughout the, uh, throughout the special effects process. Uh, but it turned out because... Again, 500 shots and a bunch of bugs and a bunch of spaceships and shit really required a ton of work. So in order to get everything done in a timely fashion, they did end up outsourcing some of the work to Industrial Light and Magic, Boss Film Studios, and a couple of other studios to actually make everything happen. And if I'm not mistaken, the like 18-foot-long models of the, uh, of the Star Cruisers were done by ILM. Obviously. <laughs> That yeah, that absolutely tracks. I'm pretty sure those still exist somewhere too, because uh, which makes sense. Because I mean, if Phil Tippett still has those fucking bugs lying around somewhere, I'm sure somebody's <laughs> got those uh, th- uh, those starships somewhere as well. I was thinking, I'm like, they look pretty good for CGI, right? JK, not probably not CGI, not CGI. There were two rough cut screenings uh, shown to uh, shown to the studio execs, and. 
those were met with a lot of enthusiasm and even ignited talks for a sequel. Of which, I will note, there are several, including one, the most recent of which that came out in 2017. I appreciate, I mean, I have not seen the sequels, but I can only imagine that they are like crime B-movies, like returning to the roots from, from what's started to <laughs> So there is actually one source I forgot to acknowledge in the beginning, and that is a, uh, a Q&A that Verhoeven and Van Dien did at the, uh, at the Lincoln Center, if I'm not mistaken, the, done for the 20th anniversary release of the film. And they do mention that the, uh, the sequels have like a tenth of the budget, so there's a lot of effects work that's just not done uh, or done way on the cheap. So it looks way, it looks very different. Uh, and that apparently they lean even further into the into the fashiness of the uh, of the world. Satirically so, or not? I would imagine satirically, but yeah. I, I'm a little wary. Hard to say. Yeah, it's a little hard to say. I mean, if you I, I'm, I'm a little worried that you're getting a little bit of uh, American History X kind of stuff going on there where you take it a little bit too earnestly and then the wrong people take the wrong message that was my concern as well yeah but i, I can't say for sure because i've also i've also not watched any of these like six sequels <laughs> while those uh rough cut screenings did go very well of course test audiences were another issue in particular test audiences absolutely hated denise richards character carmen ibanez really Yep. Uh, audiences loathed her because she chose her career over Johnny Rico. Ah, and they actually uh, w- they actually wanted her to die at the end instead of Xander. <laughs> that, wow. Yeah. That is a real thing that people said. Uh, also, on top of that, there was originally an ending scene where Johnny and Carmen share another kiss. And that was cut from the film because Tess audiences found it immoral <laughs> claiming claiming that she could not have been in love with both Johnny and Xander. Heinlein would disagree. And well here's the thing. In my notes I have a sub a subhead under this that says insert screaming. But <laughs> now it's insert irony because I didn't right. know that bit about Heinlein. That's actually hilarious thinking about Heinlein in relation to this. Yeah, who were the test audiences? Like Bunch of fucking Karens. I don't know, man. <laughs> I think they, I forgot the theater's called, but I think they're, they do test screenings at Pit, in Pittsburgh every once in a while. Am I, oh, really? Yeah. My understanding is like, you're on a list, you are this demographic, they invite you to watch it for free. How do we, how do we get on to that? I would, you know what? I'll ask around. I'm curious. Is Rob, is Rob on one of those lists? Does he do no, test No, I'm sure he would know how to be. That makes sense. Rob knows stuff. Rob knows stuff. Yeah, I would absolutely love to do that. Uh, if anything, to help combat this kind of feedback. That's a pretty good place to uh, transition into the way this film was received. Because while you know, we mentioned at the beginning here that it, you know, it's received a critical reappraisal as of late and has been hailed as the satirical uh, work of art that it is. Uh, Phil Tippett actually refers to it as the most expensive art film ever made. He would. He would. But upon release, this was this film was widely panned. Uh, I'd mentioned that it gets it gets a lot of cr- a lot of criticism because of the quality of the acting. Again, I w- will die on the hill that that is not fair given what they were actually attempting to do. I think they accomplished what they needed to with the actors they they that they chose. Who would you say is the weakest actor in this 
The weakest actor? Yeah. Um, oh, that's tough. I, I, I feel bad for singling out Denise Richards, but... Yeah. Maybe. Like, I don't want to say it was her, because I did actually kind of like her in this, but... You know, and and like, it was her first big movie. But... See, for what they're trying to accomplish, I feel like she was cast well. Is she a good actress? No. Okay. But for the themes that they're going for, I think she works. I actually... I'm not sure about Neil Patrick Harris. Fair. That yeah, that may he, be fair. He's so minor though that like yeah. I don't you know he's not he's not enough. And I just like I I love that like I mean he's what a couple of years off of Doogie Howser. Right. So, yes. so, right. Like, he was act- actively trying actively trying to shake off that reputation. Yeah. SS officer Doogie Howser. I do love him at the end when he's <laughs> just like yeah. full Mangala. Yeah. But <laughs> I also. I do, <laughs> I, I I meant to look uh, the uh, the actors' ages, but like of of the main cast, I feel like he's probably the closest to being an actual teenager. I think you're right about that. Yeah, either that or Xander for me. Yeah, Xander was. And he, Patrick again, Muldoon, I think yeah, he's again like he's like in his thirties. I believe. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. That's why they... And that that is something that uh, Hei- um, Verhoeven uh, supposedly. I haven't found any actual citation for this just yet, but I've heard it from. I've heard it a couple of different times that um, he actually wanted to cast real teenagers, like actual fifteen-year-olds okay. and shit. And people were like, "Absolutely oh, that not!" Been so good. No. Oh, I think it would have driven home the satire even harder. I mean, the rating would have been what, like, either unrated or X. Seeing children blow their heads off. Yeah, probably. But but uh, you know. But in the anime, yeah, you, <laughs> you can do that kind of shit. <laughs> but oh I God. I wondered if it was intentional because there's a scene in the film where like all the new recruits are in and they're very clearly like teenagers. I'm like, oh, was that intentional to? Right. Yeah. After uh, after after Rico takes over as lieutenant, yeah, it's, it's definitely an echo. Uh... Yeah, from, from the book, like, wow, well, we wants this green or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't say I'm surprised. The biggest reason this film got uh, got panned, though, was that it was panned as being neo-fascist. Not Naltuna wasn't. <laughs> so, so the most egregious of these claims came from uh, the Washington Post. There was an editorial written claiming that the movie was made, written, and directed by actual neo-Nazis. <laughs> what would that movie even look like? <laughs> I mean, like that, but like with a little bit less irony. I mean, yeah. you know. Yeah. A little bit more of that Heinleinian earnestness. <laughs> another, an, uh, another critic, Stephen Hunter, claimed that the film was spiritually and psychologically Nazi – uh, and then it felt like a bastardization of all's quiet on the Western Front, glorifying the violence and horrors of war. And Roger Ebert claimed that outside of the satire, the film lacked any humanity or basic entertaining value to connect to the audience. Right over their heads, huh? Yeah, I just like how, like, I didn't understand it because I was nine. Yeah, like, like, that's my yeah. excuse. I was a child, a literal child. But like, <laughs> it, he's like literally hitting you over the head with the like, this is propaganda. Like this the is first like five yeah, minutes. this is a like this is a simulated newscast. Like my my understanding of the like, framing of this film is that like you as the watcher are like watching a newscast. You're like 
you know, you're like clicking on screen. Right. You know, they ask you, would you like to know more? Like you're, you're mm-hmm. navigating a proto internet, which like in the nine, you know, in the nineties when this came out, like did not exist yet. Like this yeah. presaged a lot of that like video headline clicking culture. Like it's so, like, it's visionary. I mean, it is going it over is. people's heads and they just made. I missed it. I'm... They looked straight in that bug cloaca and think, thought, he's being earnest. They, they looked at Doogie Hauser in an SS uniform and thought, this it's is like totally earnest. SS uniform. Literal SS uniform. Like, like how do we do the boss? Like, the normal uniforms are pretty fashy, but then you have Doogie Hauser show up in an SS uniform. He, like, I'm frankly surprised he didn't have a death's head on yeah, his. Yeah, me too. His, like, I know! The, and the, like, like, the, the iconography... The, like, yeah, I was the... just gonna say the iconography, the fucking flag, like the yeah. the the the, like the the infantry flag is literally like an iron eagle manipulated slightly yeah. to look like a plane. It's just it's so good that there's like literally you know the literal like propaganda indoctrination of uh, Rashak in, in the classroom. Freaking the golden girl uh, as the the like Rue McClanahan, Rue McClanahan as, the, as the biologist, biology yes. professor with her doing her best like <laughs> Doctor Strange love like, <laughs> like impression like, uh, like how Rue do you not McClanahan. see like that that is satire like she's literally like hamming it up as like like a Nazi professor like a hundred percent. Oh my god, just like the whole look of her from her glasses to her face makeup and prosthetics like and just the delivery yeah. of everything is so they needed to be impassioned and serious like the only thing they didn't do is shoot their right arms up into the air. Yeah. I think that's what was needed for critics to be like oh. right, they needed some kind of a oh, like no. salute. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. it's truly it's truly astounding. Like and there, and this is another one that I haven't found actual citation for. Like I tried looking up like actual um, like newspaper reviews from the, when the film was released, and I couldn't find this particular one. But I've heard reference made to a to a review where the reviewer claimed that they accidentally made it look like Nazis, as in like the filmmakers were so inept that they didn't mean to do this. Like, how on <laughs> earth? This is the sound of me face holding as hard as I can. Uh, I, I just... Oh. Listen, guys, satire is hard, but this is, like, barely satire. It's just, it's there. I, 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 no, it, it, no, that's part of why it is satire, right. I think, is that it's just laid, it's laid bare. Like, the absurdity with which it is just thrown directly in your face is what makes it satire. Here's, here's the thing. When I was a child, I didn't get it, right? I thought it was it was earnest. I thought it was, like, macho. Rah, rah. Rah, rah, rah. In the same way that until I'd actually watched it, I thought King of the Hill was kind of a celebration of a bunch of idiot. The people I grew up with in Altoona. <laughs> yeah. And then I watched it, and I was like, oh. They didn't have that moment. No. No. Yeah. Just a bunch of nine-year-olds being like <laughs> Nazis. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I don't know. Look, looking, you know, coming from a different place, I don't know. But you would think that they like, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I would love to have a viewing of the film with a bunch of those critics and just be like, "Here, we're going to reevaluate the film. Maybe see if you're, you know, you feel different about it." You said twenty-five years. And see if they've picked up on it since then. Hope they've picked on it. 
I think I think most people have at this point. It just given again the like how how well it maps to a lot of what we've experienced uh, in the past decade in this country. What do you mean, Joe? What? What do you mean? What? You don't have any like crisis of like authoritarianism. No, we don't. We don't. Are you talking about the big bugs? Oh, yeah, no, no, that's what I meant. It's, yes, it's all the right. bugs. It's, it's all the bugs <laughs> everywhere that we have to that we have to mercilessly shoot to uh, to shreds. Right. Fuck. <laughs> God damn it. So um, there's this guy at work. I won't say his name. He's an older dude. He's kooky. He's like an older kooky dude. He right. like changes garbages, restocks things. That's his job. But he's gone above and beyond his job, especially during the summer, late fall, to go out in the courtyard with a broom and a bottle of, like, blue stuff and shoot the lantern flies out of the tree. Oh. He's doing his part. <laughs> he's doing his part. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not supposed to be out there. Like, he's – the boss will, like, go out and be like, what are you doing <laughs> the, the bug menace has to be destroyed. I'll. They're afraid, Jack. <laughs> They're afraid. I'll be working on my, you know, whatever, my laptop, and I'll hear like a thud at the window behind me, and I know he's doing his part. I I will say for my for my own part, like it gives you a sense of control of like in in this hell, modern hellscape in which we find ourselves, like you you are allowed to be to be violent. Uh, and you are doing a good thing by being violent. Uh, it's kind of a nice outlet sometimes. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I definitely like, you know, it's, it has made me think of like, why do I enjoy this this violence? Like, I'm extinguishing the life from these little things that have have done no wrong. It's not their fault. Like, they find themselves in this system. Like, they did not choose to be here. Interesting. So I would describe myself as a violent violence obsessed person uh, i wouldn't say i'm a violent person because i've not committed violence in in a while uh, <laughs> illegally illegally <laughs> i ain't been caught but I, I i hated i hated killing those bugs yeah like i did not want to kill them um when people are like ah, i'm gonna kill those stink bugs i'm like why Whereas I would describe you as like not a violent person, but you're getting like that little bit of a thrill out of it. A little bit of the old Walter Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, and because it is like you, it is morally prescribed violence, where it is like yeah. you yeah. are allowed to do this, and you are doing the right thing by doing this thing. It is like, you know, I should, but I should be be what would what would Verhoeven uh, right. say? And <laughs> yeah. he'd be like, you should think about this violence, and like, you know, could you like kill the egg sacs instead of like mm. or like get rid of the habitat or like I don't know it's not it's not all about lantern flies but yeah. we are the monsters right. clearly they, yes that like <laughs> freaking an SS officer is like touching this bug and saying it's afraid it's afraid it's and like afraid. that that is so that is the climax of the movie and like how do you not yeah. get that like we are the bad guys oh are we the buddies fuck <laughs> I, another yeah. another detail that I think really drives home like what they were trying to do here. There were two countries in particular that really fucking hated this movie. Really? Can you guess which countries? Germany and Argentina. Germany and Italy, actually. Ah. Mm. Though Argentina is a real fucking good point to yeah. bring up. 
So you mentioned Why is that, Joe? Uh, so let's take that pin out for a second here. So we mentioned you mentioned in the book that Johnny Rico's Puerto Rican, uh, uh, Filipino. Phil- oh, sorry, correct. Yeah, he, he's he's Filipino in the uh, in the book. He's from Buenos Aires in mm-hmm. in the movie. All the main characters basically are from Buenos Aires, Argentina. Mm-hmm. Where the fuck did the Nazis flee? Uh, Argentina. Oh, Argentina. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. That's what this world is. It is the future where that ideology like rises wow. again, and they're able to take prominence. And that's why everyone from fucking Argentina's <laughs> white as hell. That makes so much more sense. I was so confused by that. No, I never see anybody talking about that particular point. It's like huh. it's right there. I, so in in the book, I, yeah, it's it's not determined where like he's ancestrally Filipino, but it, but like his dad went to Harvard. Um, so like I, it's right. not really like his. So in the book, only Rico, Johnny Rico's mom dies in this. Right? So she was visiting ah. there. Um, his dad, his dad actually becomes a soldier and like is his sergeant at the end. He's a lieutenant. Oh wow! Whole big thing. Yeah, that's way um, different. Yeah. Uh, but so yeah, it, it's not determined where they're from. But I, again, it, it makes sense as an element. I mean, either like. Honestly, I mean, if you're gonna make them all white, just like have New York get destroyed or have like Boston get destroyed. Absolutely would be what happened in the Mark Wahlberg version, baby. You know that's what would happen. <laughs> there wouldn't be a Dunkin' Donuts left on this planet. <laughs> oh. Um, that, that we is have very... a Busey. Do we need a Wahlberg? <laughs> yes. Always. But no, they went out of their way to make it Buenos Aires. Like they kept the, they they made they made the protagonists these hyper Aryan looking protagonists that they were taken out of a Ravenstahl film and put them there. Like it's, it's, it's wow. such a, such a detail that gets completely blown over. And yet I really like that. Yeah. I didn't. Right. I didn't, I didn't make the Argentina connection and like I should have. Yeah. Like all I thought was like, man, those are some really white people from Buenos Aires. Yeah. Huh. Like painfully white, <laughs> they are painfully white. But the, the, the other thing that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, poor Jakey boy. So there's another point with that though that I think is really interesting. So the it's like as soon as Buenos Aires gets wiped out, the uh, the the recruits at boot camp are shown like the news footage, and it's the yeah. same kind of news footage that we've been shown throughout the entire film in those in those cutaways, right? Mm-hmm. Like the same stylized lettering and everything. There's kind of a dueling narrative going on with this film. From the very moment the film starts, when they show when they show the title screen, it's just a black screen white lettering, Starship Troopers. And you don't really see that kind of lettering again until the end, until until the movie mm-hmm. finally wraps and the credits roll. Everything else that we're shown is this hyper stylized, like entertainment, like, kind of entertaining thing being thrown in our face to kind of mask, or, or you know, in fiction is trying to kind of mask the more nefarious fascist elements of what's happening there. So we're like literally structurally shown, like the like the narrative and the meta narrative, like the the trying to stay true to Heinlein's story to an extent, and then the battle against it, uh, like kind of framing it. Again, it's like an, it's a it's an in-universe propaganda film. Yeah, like, it, you know we are being shown yeah. this, the propaganda film from the, you know the future. 
what I thought of when I saw the immediate footage of Buenos Aires being blown to smithereens or whatever was how wildly quick they got those graphics together. Yeah. Like, did right? you guys have that prepared? Is there some conspiracy? Well, I mean, it's literally like footage of a California wildfire. Is the oh, is it? Like, it's not, it's obviously <laughs> not Buenos it. Aires. It's like a mountainside. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. n- notoriously non-mountainous city, Buenos <laughs> Aires, uh, you know. Uh, so it's, it's literally you just got like footage of like the last big wildfire that happened in California. Hmm. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah. But, like the, the the you know the the, the bedraggled soot stained guy in the ruins of Buenos Aires says the only good bug is a dead bug. No, this is not propaganda. Like yeah, mm. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or reporter trying to or starting to starting to like subtly bring up like you know some people have like a live and let live mentality toward the bugs and just immediately right. gets uncritically cut off by Rico saying I'm from Buenos Aires and I say kill, kill them all. all and he doesn't try to rebut he just lets that happen or the very obvious Tucker Carlson allegory or or, uh, or parallel character that pops up oh. uh, who's the uh, oh a bug with a brain I'm offended I, you I find the idea offensive. Up. Oh, it's like so, so obviously like a, like a, a pseudo crossfire segment that they've yeah. thrown in our face, like down to the bow tie. Like <laughs> it is, yeah. It's just, he, like how much more obvious do you have to be? And the answer is clearly more obvious than like clearly men, more men, obvious. Men. Apparently, like like the only thing I could think of was that if they had like a Ryan Reynolds style like sarcasm voice. <laughs> To really, and I wouldn't like that, but I'm like, I guess that would drive it home yeah, more. Did the entire movie in that way? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's an entire movie of just Ryan Reynolds's and Aubrey and Aubrey Plaza's, as far as the eye can see. <laughs> Some weird like genetics were happening. <laughs> and Aubrey Plaza, Carmen Yabanez. That would be that would be interesting. That would rule. Yeah, I would like to see that. She would eat Rico up. <laughs> he would not stand a chance. <laughs> It's genuinely like kind of shocking though how like people haven't gotten it for so for so long but there's also like, there is a contingent of of uh, of this fandom that is far right like, they, like this is this it has been one of those movies where it gets it gets construed both ways and both sides kind of claim it as their own in various ways the Q&A that I watched there's actually a really interesting bit of information that I picked up from that so first off it's important to note that during the production and the writing of this, Verhoeven was working out of Texas, which was at the time governed by George W. Bush. And it was during a time where they were seeing a big increase in uh, in state executions. So that was, that's actively part of what's playing in his, the background of his head as he's studying American politics and figuring out how to make that work in this film. Years later, Casper Van Dien is on a plane. I was on a flight to D.C. and the person next to me was talking about Heinlein and how they love Starship Troopers. And I'm there reading another script and he asked me where I'm going. I say I'm going to the White House for a charity thing. And he says, oh, well, enjoy it. I've been there for seven years. So I look up and realize it's Carl Rove. staggering absolutely fucking staggering no that that makes so much sense that like executor of people that are incompetent to spend that don't fully understand what they did george w bush Mm -hmm. like the inspiration right 
that, yeah, that, that, that tracks. It really, yeah, it, it lends another kind of painful a, uh, aspect to the whole, it's afraid, it's afraid kind of ending and climax there. Because, you know, the further realization of, like, these things don't know what they're doing. They're just lashing out to protect themselves. Yeah. The Mormons, the, the Mormons entered their space. Uh, <laughs> the space right, Mormons, yeah, I keep right. Right, was Mormons. Yeah, I, you know, I... There's <laughs> that little detail. Yeah, future Mormons. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they're in the expanse, they're, they're there in Starship Troopers. I didn't realize they were in the expanse as well. I haven't I haven't gotten into that yet. The the ship that is the the, the big giant ship that the Belters get uh, is uh, originally it's a Mormon generation ship. They're trying to get to like Alpha Centauri to get you know, huh. away from the impure, you know, everyone else, um, and then the Belters take it over and turn it into the human. So Fucking like, Mormons, man! It's wild. Yeah, that was a a, a, a detail that. And clearly, he stuck with me over twenty five years. It's like they, you know, we we encroached in their their space. We are, you know, I mean, the language we don't talk about the language, but like Cullen was like the language mm-hmm. of colonialism. Like the like the one of the ships in in the book is the Vortrek, which is is a deep cut. But so the Vortrekkers are the South African uh, pioneers, quote unquote, who uh, left Cape Town because the British the British people like wouldn't let them enslaved. Uh, the, you know, the, the native African folks. And so they trekked yeah. from Cape Town to, like, Johannesburg and, and founded the modern, you know, the modern white apartheid South Africa. Um, and so, and, so, wait, so, and wait, so this, is, this is in Starship Troopers or this is this in the Expanse? Uh, Starship Troopers in the book. Okay. It's, it's just like a little detail of Heinlein. It's like, oh, let me name this, like, noble, this, this ship, like, Vortrek. And it's like, you know, he, to him, is like a good thing. It's like, these are the pioneers. And it's like, oh, yeah, this is who he's thinking of. It's mm. like, these are, this is who Highland thinks are the good guys. And it's like, these that are the colonists who, like, you know, founded a genocidal, you know, nation that literally came up with the idea of apartheid. Like, and that's, that's like a Highland throwaway that these are the good guys. Um, that's fucked <laughs> holy <yeah>. shit <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to find a happy thought in my head right now <laughs> so I've been quiet for so long I'm just like I need I'm something just, I'm just thinking about Casper Van Dien's chin he's uh, got that, a really good chin the squarest yeah. chin on the face of the planet Serves my god chin. like uh, I thought of the image of people laying sidewalk concrete and they put like the, the boards down and filled it with concrete <laughs> that's what they did with his chin yes Chiseled but how from do you think? Granite. How do you think they built the roads leading into uh, le- leading into <laughs> Hell's Half Acre? They <laughs> used Casper's chin as the. What else has he been in? Anything? That's a good question. I mean, I know he's in some of the star of this uh, Starship Troopers oh, sequels. Yeah, at the very least, he's in the third one and the most recent one. I think I have him confused with Carrie Ellis in my head for some reason. Like I know they are separate people, mm-hmm. but I think honestly probably because uh, that and Robin Hood Men and Tights are like two of the first like R-rated movies okay. that I yeah. ever saw when I was with you. Okay, you know, there's a number of other things here. He was in Alita Battle Angel in 2019. Oh, uh, he was right. in the 1999 Sleepy Hollow. Uh, 1998 Tarzan and the Lost City, which is uh, one of one of the films I think we mentioned uh, tanked at Warner Brothers uh, oh, in yeah, the lead yeah. up to uh, Superman Lives being canceled. He plays one of the rich dickheads in Sleepy Hollow. Yes. Good, good Dutch. You know. I, I think he picks on the Johnny Depp character. 
Uh, this year, he was in an adaptation of most of the most dangerous game that has a three point five on IMDb. <laughs> God damn it! All right, so yeah, he's out there. He's acting. He's doing stuff. Here's here's my happy thought in the middle of all this fascism. So that story is clearly in the public domain, right? The most dangerous game. So in theory, we could do whatever we want with it. I've watched so many adaptations, and I'm just wondering what a knife picker version of that would look like. And would he be... <laughs> oh, dear God. Um, I mean, you've already got an idea for a knife breaker hunting a cryptid, if I'm not mistaken. I do, I do. The squonk, I believe. It has to be the squonk, yeah. Also, <laughs> knife breaker in the importance of being earnest in space. Yes, yes. <laughs> and about all of these things. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to hear oh. want to hear Joe's knife breaker voice talking about cucumber sandwiches. <laughs> Man, you're gonna make me do the knife breaker voice when I'm sick. Oh Come on. no, your head might explode, <laughs> sending snot everywhere. Oh god, <laughs> I don't want to do that to Becca's work setup. Yeah, that'd be gross. Explode like a, a bug, like a bean, bean <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how they made that pass, like, corporate. Like, how they didn't take a look at the blood cloaca brain bug, and they're like, no. So, like, and the, yeah, the, the practical effects of that, like, the, like, yeah. just, like the judicious use of, like, lube. It's, like, it's real lube <laughs> real sticky. So it's drippy. <laughs> oh. It's so gooey. Yeah. Proboscis. Fucking... Phil Tippett's a fucking genius, man. The work that guy does to just bring that kind of stuff to life and make it so visceral. Like, you, like, I, like I watched that and I saw parts of what eventually became Mad God. Oh, like, yeah, very much so. I would not want to oh. be his therapist. <laughs> oh, my God. Could you imagine? Oh, holy shit. No, but that all goes back to the fact that there was massive executive turnover at Sony oh, right. during all of this. Like there was just like every few months they would just fire whoever was like supervising all these projects until well, until in the very end, I'm pretty sure Amy Pascal was one of oh, them that they man. brought on to like finalize everything. And then she's the one that stuck. I imagine she walked in the door and they're like, all right, whoever walks in the door next, they're it. They're the person's <laughs> got the job. So, what was the fallout from this? Because we know, I mean, they spent $100 million, but I'm guessing they did not make their money back. Not domestically, but they actually did make their money back uh, with the with the global market. Uh, I have those figures, as it just so happens. So, opening weekend, it only brought in $22 million. So, well short of, uh, of, of, the, of the amount that, we're, um, the, or that they had spent here. Uh, U.S. and Canadian gross ended up coming up to $54 million, $814,377. And then the worldwide gross was $121,214,377. Uh, $121, so, so they did globally make that money back. So it wasn't a complete failure. It just domestically, it it bombed. It absolutely bombed domestically. Can we talk about, uh, the legend is, I don't know how, I don't know how true this is. So in Firefly, oh, they yeah. not use, so the, like the military, the helmets and the equipment, they, they used that, the leftover stuff from Starship Troopers in Firefly, right? The, like like the Alliance saying. helmets, I'm, if I'm yeah. not mistaken, are, are Starship Troopers, Troopers helmets. I'm pretty sure that's true. I'm pretty sure it's the Train Heist episode called Train Heist. 
<laughs> it is just called train heist. <laughs> Which again, uh, simpler like, times. Alliance is like clearly fascists. So like, yeah. Why did people not figure this out in like 2002 or whenever Firefly came out? I don't know. The the thing that struck me on my my latest rewatching though is like the the, the love triangleness of it of like mm-hmm. the so in an early moment it, like Johnny wants Carmen to say I love you um and she yes. like struggles with it mm-hmm. um and then at the very end like Dizzy like finally gets Johnny Rico and then like she She's wants him to say yeah it. she wants uh, she wants him to say I love you and he won't do it and it's like mm-hmm. and then she dies. But she's she's happy because she got yeah. to have him, yeah. quote unquote, yep. got to have him. Got that dick. Can't die happy now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the like, yeah, Rashak is like the again like Rashak slash Dubois is the author insert, but he's just like very libertarian. I'm like I won't give you advice. Like I, Joe, you, you and I were like you literally were helped me write a sketch. Whereas like the libertarian of like I will never give you advice. Like rah. <laughs> Uh, and like Rashak <laughs> literally like it's like I, 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 the only thing to do is like decide for yourself. Except then at the end he's like, no, like dude, she wants she wants to fuck you. Like you should you should. Dude, never pass up a good thing. Yeah. Man, can't wait to do Showgirls. <laughs> you know, I actually I, I am excited to jump into Showgirls because uh, in the Q and A that I watched that the, uh, that Verhoeven did. He, he mentions that that's also received a critical reappraisal. So I, okay. I'm interested to see like, in, like how how has that turned around? Because this movie, while you know it has you know it it has you know some issues and whatnot, like you know nothing's perfect, but it doesn't it didn't deserve the weird critical misunderstanding and backlash that it got. Of note, it was not nominated for any Razzies. Starship Troopers were. Starship Troopers, yeah, not a sing- not a single uh, Razzie nomination. It got, didn't it get a, a nominated or even win like an Academy Award for Best Effects? It is. This does feel like the kind of film that the Razzie was would just be all over. So I'm kind of surprised it was nominated. Like you would, yeah, you would think like Casper Van Dien or like you know as like you know wooden acting, like not terrible. Like it is intentionally, purposefully wooden, waxy even. <laughs> waxy. Uh, it got a Saturn Award for Best Costume Design. It was nominated for Best Effects and Visual Effects. Okay. So yeah, Phil Tippett, Scotty Anderson, Alec Gillis, John Richardson, all nominated for uh, Best Visual Effects. Did not win, though. Uh, it did win the Saturn Awards for Best Costumes, Best Special Effects. It was nominated for Best Science Fiction Film, Best Director, and Best Writer. Hugo Award nominee for Best Dramatic Presentation. Yeah, it got a bunch of different nominations and whatnot here. Very few wins, though. Just that uh, just that one, or those two wins at the Saturn Awards, it looks like. So the year that Starship Troopers would have been um, considered for the Razzies was the same year that Batman and Robin came out? There, it, the post it was, Yeah, it was, the, it was 1997 had a lot of... A lot of crap going for it, if I'm mistaken. Speed 2, Cruise Control. Speed 2, Cruise mm. Control. I saw that in theaters. The Postman. Yep. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal's Steel. Oh, fucking Steel. Oh, God damn it. Yeah. Oh, buddy. Huh, I didn't know that Mila Jovovich was nominated for her performance in uh, Fifth Element. Rude? Yeah, rude. That is rude. I don't like that. Anyway... I think there's enough shit that it kind of slipped under the radar. <laughs> it's the, this film's M.O. 
Well, Joe, you got anything else for us? I don't know. I think that about covers it. I think that that is uh, the long and short of uh, of Starship Troopers, and uh, I think we did a fair job breaking down how silly it is to not catch the satire in this uh, in this this particular work. If you were to redo this movie today, still have it be satire, what would you do to make it more noticeable? <sighs> Fuck. Um, Everyone has blonde hair and blue eyes. No brunettes, no redheads. I think yeah, you need you need mm. like literal like Nazi salutes or like you know some something like really like yeah like literally mm. make their like their logo like a, a swastika right. like 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 birds instead of little, little <laughs> arms. Right. Oh my like, god! Like, uh, the, the four F's from uh, Frank Frank Reynolds from It's Always Sunny. You know. Right. <laughs> You know what? I was going to say that I would have Taika Waititi direct it, Ooh. but then you brought up Always Sunny, and I'm like, no, those guys. That's their. That, I don't know if they've done a movie as like a crew yet, but that them. That's their first movie. Yeah. I can see that. <laughs> the gang goes to war. <laughs> yeah. yeah, even then, like people don't get that it's Always Sunny is like about terrible people. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, a lot of people. A lot of people think that they're that they're supposed to take those characters seriously and like. Like relate to them in any way, shape, or no. form. <laughs> no, okay. don't relate to them. Same thought process. Did anybody watch Jojo Rabbit and think, "Oh, that Hitler's a really great guy in that movie"? <laughs> <laughs> I think you like you would like literally like you have to do like Sky Marshal Hitler, like Sky Marshal Hitler Junior. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> okay, who plays Sky Marshal Hitler Junior? <laughs> It's gotta be Taika Waititi. I mean, he's he's got the market cornered on fake Hitler. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Didn't oh, good lord! No, I was gonna say that I thought Mike Michael Myers had played Hitler at one point, but I don't think he has. No, he played he played a German in something. Yeah, Gary Oldman's do it. No, because then we'll think he's actually Hitler. Yeah, yeah, he'll do it too well. Too good. Again, I don't know like how much more. You, again, I think I, I I think people understand irony better, you know, as as a generation mm -hmm. been raised on it. Um, true, that's very true. Yeah. All right, well, I can't wait to see the uh, Taika Waititi starring Starship Troopers, uh, directed by Taika Waititi. <laughs> well, I was gonna, I, I'm still leaning towards the guys from. Uh, Always sunny. Oh, from, from it's always sunny. Okay, yeah. If they don't Rob get it, fuck them. Yeah. Charlie Day, yeah. <laughs> that shower scene's gonna be gross. <laughs> oh my god! The, I want the behind the scenes of those idiots directing by committee. Just... Oh, no. Who's who's Frank in this film? Is he uh, Zim? <laughs> <laughs> Replace Clancy Brown with yeah. Danny DeVito. <laughs> I, I would like to see him standing with the cloaca bug at the end. She's just all loomed up. <laughs> Burrows his way through the bug. <laughs> to be clean! <laughs> oh, Jesus God. Christ. Well, I hate that slightly less, so that's an improvement. <laughs> Yeah, I think that, that, that that's probably a fair note to go out on. And here's where, you, while editing, you cue the Always Sunny theme. 
Yes, because we don't want to get sued. Right. <laughs> it might be public domain. Maybe. It's not generic yeah. enough. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I'll, I'll look into it. I'll look into it. Uh, well, Steve, thank you for uh, for joining us for this uh, for this bit of madness, for this bit of ridiculousness here. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, uh, anytime you have a, a science fiction author uh, who like could have started a cult and or did start a cult, um, please bring me on. Uh, Hell yes. Well, that's a Google search I'll be doing later. So, Steve, do you have anything that you want to uh, promote or draw attention to? Satire as is, 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 is a thing, mm-hmm. like critical rephrasal. Think, think, think about think about what you do, think about why you do it. But uh, I do not have a, a social media or otherwise online presence. Uh, but you know, Steve but, here to promote the idea of thinking about why you like the things that you like. That is one thing that I can thank do. you for bringing attention to that. <laughs> I uh, do what I can. I'm doing my part. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, thank you everybody for checking us out here today. Uh, if you liked what you heard, please uh, like, subscribe, rate, and review everywhere you possibly can. Uh, we are on we're on Good Pods, we're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, we're, we're wherever you possibly find podcasts. Um, those ratings help us get higher up in the search results and help people discover us more easily. So please help us out there. Thank you to everyone who has. Uh, thank you to everyone who has been uh, engaging with us on social media. If you want to follow us there, you can find us on Facebook at Derazzled Podcast, on Instagram at Derazzled underscore podcast, uh, on Twitter at Derazzled Pod. Pretend that didn't happen if, if it's completely burned to the ground by the time this airs. Um, at Derazzled underscore podcast on TikTok. If you have suggestions for what for stuff you'd like to see us cover or if you, or merch you'd like to see pop up in our merch store uh, on Redbubble at Derazzled Merch, uh, please email us at uh, derazzledpodcast at gmail.com. And I think that about covers it. You sure to razzle-dazzle razzle <laughs> you? <laughs> is that a, is that Sorry, a thing I'm, I'm supposed I'm, to I'm say? So, I'm, I'm so used to Jack introducing that part that I forgot that I was the one that's supposed to do it this time. <laughs> I thought we were playing like a weird game of chicken. Like real quiet chicken. <laughs> I think we both lost. Yeah, I think we did both lose. Steve Steve won that game of chicken that we I am the Razzler and the Dazzler. <laughs> Alright, that's how I'm leaving it. Bye. Bye. Bye.